You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu. And on this edition of the show, we're going to be discussing five strikers that Arsenal should consider signing next summer. The striking position is one that we've been talking about quite frequently this season. We've talked about maybe the strikers that Mikel Arteta currently has at his disposal, not necessarily being completely fit for purpose, maybe not fitting into his style of play necessarily. But we'd all agreed, I guess, when we were talking, well, a lot of you agreed with me that they would have seen this position as one that could be delayed, as one that we could go back and deal with a little bit later on. It wasn't the priority position. I think now that we're seeing the team developing and we're seeing a style of play finally kind of forming, I think now it's becoming obvious that this is at least the next step. I don't think we're going to do significant business with regards to a striker coming in in January. It's very clear that Alexander Lacazette will probably be here till the end of the season. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang too. I don't think that, as I say, that we'll we'll go out and spend big on a centre-forward between now and the end of the season. But come next summer, it's certainly a position Arsenal need to address. And we're going to be talking about five potential options on this edition of the podcast. But before we do that, there's been some sad news coming out of the Arsenal world today. And that is that Arsenal legend Ray Kennedy has sadly passed away at the age of 70. Ray Kennedy was part of the double winning side in 1971 and, of course, scored the goal at White Hart Lane that saw Arsenal win the league there. So lots of us sing about it. Um, this is the man who was responsible uh, for that very, very special goal. And he'll always have a place in Arsenal's history. So I just want to say rest in peace, legend Ray Kennedy went on to have a fantastic career after Arsenal as well with Liverpool and with England, um, a fantastic player, a, a legend. And it's really, really sad to hear that he's unfortunately lost his battle with Parkinson's disease. He's been unwell for a while uh, from what I've read and and, and that's obviously difficult and it would have been very difficult for his friends and family, but he's at peace now. So rest in peace, Ray Kennedy. Arsenal legend. Okay, let's uh, continue on with the podcast. Let's get into these five strikers that we're going to be talking about throughout this show. And we're going to start off with the Fiorentina man, Dusan Vlavic. Now, this is someone who we've been linked with a lot. This is somebody I've talked about quite a bit, actually, already this season, because there's quite a bit of debate around Vlavic, right? I mean, he is someone who has bags and bags of potential, but he's someone who I feel right now is being overpriced. He's someone that we're talking about for stupid amounts of money, and I still think he's got a long way to go in his career before we can talk about him being an 80, 90, 100 million pound striker as I've seen touted by some media outlets. So look, it's a it's a really interesting situation the situation around Vlavic. And we'll come on to discuss that in just a second. And I'm going to share with you guys uh, some information on the player. So what's his situation at Fiorentina now? Well, the situation is that Dusan Vlavic's current contract is due to expire 
in 2023. But he has indicated apparently that he does not want to remain at Fiorentina. Therefore, he will be not signing a new contract. So what do Fiorentina do? Well, by the time we get to the end of this season, of course, we'll be in 2022, which means it's kind of now or never or the summer or never in terms of when they can sell him. Fiorentina will be desperate to spark a bit of a bidding war. Uh, they'll be looking to kind of sort of tout him to, to various clubs. We know that there's a lot more money in the Premier League than there is anywhere else. But unfortunately for Fiorentina, according to reports, Dusan Vlavic has indicated that although it's not entirely in his hands, he would prefer to stay in Italy. Now, Fiorentina won't want that. Fiorentina will want to maximise what they bring in for this player. And therefore, I believe they'll be doing everything they can to try and get the Premier League clubs who have shown a hint of interest to kind of come to the table with concrete offers. Now, we heard a little while ago that Arsenal do have an interest in Dusan Vlahovic. We heard, according to reports from Italy, that Arsenal were willing to break the bank to get this guy to come, that we were willing to pay something around 75 to 80 million euros, which sounded crazy to me at the time. But it will just be really, really interesting to see how this situation develops, because as I say, Fiorentina will be hoping to cash in as much as possible, but he will be in the last year of his contract. And I think that will make buying clubs feel as though they can, you know, they can lowball Fiorentina. I think there'll be clubs who will look at his contract situation and feel like, hold on a minute, you know, we're getting this kind of price fed back to us from Florence, but ultimately you're not in the power position. We are. You need to sell him. We want to buy him. But we are by no means, especially now, given the financial issues surrounding the European game, we are by no means now going to go and pay over the odds for a player who's still largely unproven. What is he like as a player? Well, I would say he's a throwback to a good old fashioned number nine. Um, he's a focal point. He is not a number nine like Lacazette. You know, Lacazette is a number nine who quite happily drops into deeper positions, wants to get on the ball in and around the penalty area, wants to bring other people into the game and tries to impact the match in other areas. Dusan Vlavic won't do that. When I say he's a typical old school number nine, that's because he wants to be as close to the goal as possible. Um, he gives you a target to hit from crosses, very big frame, uh, very big player, 190 centimetres tall, uh, as specified by Sofa Score. You can see that on your screens if you're watching us on the video. So clearly an aerial threat, as I say. Um, you know, for me, this this is an interesting one because when you look at his record, and we'll, we'll go on to have a look at it in a little bit more detail now, and you look at this season so far, his average performance rating so far during the 21-22 campaign in Serie A is 7.39 um, out of 10, which is very, very good. If you look, he's been in better form uh, in the last couple of weeks. He was uh, 7.1 against Empoli. Eight and a half against Milan. I'm sure you've all seen the goals that Dusan Vlavic scored against Milan that people were, were kind of waxing lyrical about. If you go back further um, to the performance against Spezia on the 31st of October, he got a 10 out of 10. So this is a guy who's consistently now performing at a very high level. And so it's no wonder that there's a lot of interest in him. There's a question in the chat. Is he quick? I, I don't know him to be particularly quick. It's not something I would say is 
one of his strong points. I wouldn't look at him and say, yeah, you know, he's a pace merchant or anything like that, but he's not slow either. I just feel like with Dusan Vlavic, you know, we talk a lot about the need to have a kind of hybrid between Lacazette and Aubameyang. And what I mean by that is someone who's quite happy to play on the shoulder, get in behind, but also somebody who can be a focal point and hopefully bring others into the game. I don't think Vlavic is the complete striker in terms of having all of those attributes. I, I think he's a lot more comfortable uh, in and around the penalty area rather than starting from positions outside of it. That's not to say that he can't run in behind. He can. He's done it. Um, but for me, that's not really his biggest strength. That's not really what his game is all about. So he's a wonderful player. I'd love to have him. My big concern about Dusan Vlavic is that Given the way he's performing now, there will be plenty of big sharks circling, bigger sharks than Arsenal at this moment in time. And I feel like Fiorentina are going to are going to end up in a place where they're going to be able to demand the top dollar. And I'm not sure that, you know, as a club who need to be quite smart in their business, quite shrewd in their business. Remember, we've overspent on players in recent years. So we're kind of a little bit burnt by this already. It feels to me like we need to be smarter in our recruitment. And while I'd like the player to come, the idea of paying 70, 80 million euros for him feels or makes me feel uneasy. So personally, at that price, I wouldn't be going for Dusan Vlavic. But he is someone who, if he were to become available for a more reasonable price, I think would be a very, very good addition to the team. So just to kind of summarise, it's not a slight on him. It's not that I don't like him. It's not that I don't think he's good. It's not like I don't think he's going to go on and develop. He's just 21 years old. Um, you know, I, I just feel like, although he's an option and one that we should consider and one that we should think about, the price could be a real, real sticking point here. Moving on, let's uh, talk about another player. Let's talk about uh, Benfica's Darwin Nunez, uh, another player that was brought to my attention actually last season when Arsenal played Benfica in the Europa League. There was a lot of talk about him going into the game and a lot of discussion um, about, you know, what what it is that, you know, his future holds. He was very heavily linked with a move to Brighton last summer, although Brighton were unable to convince the player, Brighton were unable to um, to get not just Benfica's agreement, but Darwin Nunez's agreement as well. And I think with all due respect to Brighton, I don't think many people saw them being at the level they've been this season so far. And, um, and I think he probably would have turned his nose up at them. That's the kind of honest truth. This guy, Darwin Nunez, I would describe him as a prolific assister rather than goal scorer. Um, runs in behind brilliantly, has a big frame, six foot two, 188 centimetres. So, you know, gives you that presence that we're talking about Arsenal kind of needing in that front role. Um, doesn't score that many headers despite having that presence. I think I jotted down, um, you know, that, that that was something that kind of stood out to me and jumped out to me for someone who is so big, who's in the penalty area so often. He doesn't score an awful lot of headed goals, but that could be down to how Benfica play. That could be down to their kind of uh, patterns from which they, with which, sorry, they build up. So maybe I'm reading into it a little bit too much, but Darwin Nunez for me is more of that kind of player that we need in terms of someone who can run in behind, but also has the physical presence to be 
a focal point in your penalty area. And we've talked at times, haven't we, about how Arsenal, when they struggle to break teams down, when they struggle to break low blocks, quite often end up getting the ball out into the wide areas, particularly when Kieran Tierney's playing and putting crosses into the penalty area. Well, somebody like Darwin Nunez, while I don't think heading is his biggest strength, it's something that, uh, you know, he'd be better at than than Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, you'd imagine, or Alexander Lacazette for that matter, or Eddie Nketiah, or following Balogun. If we look at Sofa score, they say that his biggest strength is his high pressing. And his high pressing is something that will also please Mikel Arteta, that will also attract Mikel Arteta. Because one of the things, again, that you would say Lacazette has that Aubameyang doesn't is that willingness to press intensely. Now, Aubameyang has improved in that sense recently, but you know, it's it's clearly not something that comes natural to him. It's clearly something he's forcing a little bit at the moment and credit to him for doing that because he's doing it for the team. But I just feel as though that that, that Darwin Nunez is, is a very rounded option. And, and that's what's great about him. He also just 22 years old, fits into that kind of um, bracket of player that we're looking at. Uh, Uruguayan international. So yeah, you know, there's lots, lots going for him. But as I say, very good presser, uh, very good at running in behind. Uh, he's got a great assist record, a prolific assister, I called him. Um, so he does bring other people into the game, although it's he does it in a slightly different way to what we're used to. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. So he is someone I would certainly consider um, and someone that I think is attainable because, of, um, because it's Benfica without being disrespectful. Uh, moving on, let's talk about Alexander Isak, the uh, Swedish international player that many people probably wouldn't have seen until he uh, really kind of performed and, and impressed at Euro 2020. Now, Alexander Isak, uh, again, falls into that age bracket, 22 years old, right-footed striker, uh, 190 centimetres as well. So gives you that presence that I keep talking about, which is so important. And you can see where I'm going with this list of players, right? I'm looking at people who give you height, who give you a target, who give you a focal point, who where possible are just as effective running in behind as they are holding off in the penalty area. And, and Alexander Isak also fits into that. He's a bit more of an all-action player in the sense of he will get involved in various other areas of the pitch. And you can see that from the heat map that is on your screens now. Alexander Isak is not afraid to say, yeah, I'm the centre forward, but I'm going to drift here. I'm going to drift there. I'm going to drift everywhere and try and get involved in the play if things aren't necessarily going his way. Um, I said he burst onto the scene at Euro 2020, and that was for the majority of us. But for La Liga viewers, he is somebody that would have been on the radar for a while. 17 league goals last season. Alexander Isak, he's a fantastic dribbler and perhaps significantly, depending on uh, what way you look at this, he is, of course, uh, a very good friend and somebody who's had a really good relationship on the pitch in the past with Martin Odegaard. So Alexander Isak feels like a good option too. Um, aerially, not as strong as Vlavic, for example, in my opinion much better dribbler. And, and sometimes I do feel like when you're playing against a low block, one of the most effective ways of trying to break that down is having somebody who will just pick up the ball and say, screw it, I'm going. 
and I'm going to take people on and I'm going to cause problems. And if I don't manage to get all the way through, at the very least, I've managed to attract people because the last thing that defenders want, particularly centre-backs who are the last line of defence, is somebody to pick up the ball and run at them. It's, you know, it's something that is so undervalued in football, the ability to pick up the ball and beat a man or cause problems. You know, you know, you look at Jack Grealish, prime example of this, right? Jack Grealish, when he dribbles with the ball, doesn't always dribble past everyone and get a shot off or get a, you know, or, or kind of provide that or, or produce that final moment. But what he does so brilliantly is his ability to carry the ball means that people get sucked in. They come from left. They come from right. They come from in front of you. They come from behind you. Because as I say, when people dribble at you, defenders panic. And defenders' first instinct is, I've got to stop this guy. And, and they'll go out and they'll try and do that. And if you're clever, you don't always have to beat them all. You have to recognise the moment when you've sucked and dragged enough people out of position to then release the ball to a teammate. And that can create spaces and that can cause problems for defenders. And Alexander Isak has that much more or has that skill set much more obviously than a Darwin Nunez or a Dusan Vlahovic. I'd say Nunez has it a bit. Um, Vlahovic, probably not enough. But Alexander Isak has that going for him. Is he as powerful in the air as Dusan Vlahovic? No. Um, Is he as much of a willing runner as Darwin Nunez? Probably not. But he does have that ability to dribble and he has wonderful technique and he's incredibly good with his feet in small spaces. Um, also, you know, looking at Alexander Isak this season, um, and, and again, look, it's early in the season, so we're not going to kind of go too overboard on the stats here. I, I really don't want to do that, but he scored three goals uh, in 12 La Liga matches. He started 10 of them, uh, scored this season uh, every 266 minutes. He's by no means prolific, but according to uh, Sofa Score, he's also a very, very good free kick taker. And they also say, that he has no outstanding weaknesses. Read into that uh, what you will. Uh, right. So uh, that's Alexander Isak. Let's move on to the next one on my list. And this is number four. And this is Sevilla's Yusuf N. Naziri. Now, if you're a regular listener or viewer of this show, you would have heard me talk about N. Naziri on a number of occasions. And he, for me, is right at the top of this list. Um because of a number of factors. So we know that last January, West Ham United tried to sign Yusuf and Naziri. They tried to make a bid or they did make a bid of £25 million plus add-ons. That was what was reported, but they were unable to tempt Sevilla into doing that deal. He does run in behind. He is aerially very, very effective. 27 goals since the start of last season for Yusuf and Naziri. Stats this season don't look great, but that is because he's been injured since early October. Um, you could say he's a poacher. And the way I kind of determine who's a poacher and who's not, or, or one of the telltale signs I always say is, how many first-time finishes do you see from them? Because if a player is constantly finishing and scoring goals first time, as in not taking a touch, that means he's taking up the right positions. That means he's getting into the areas where he can be picked out and he's already in a spot to score. And I think that is, you know, that is something that we could do with. I think it's something we could always benefit uh, for. You know, you look at Aubameyang's chance the other day, that's a, 
a chance that Yusuf and Naziri would gobble up. And I'm not, you know, let's not go into it too much on Aubameyang because it was a one-off and it can happen. And, you know, we know over the course of his Arsenal career, he's been a very, very good finisher. And it's probably unfair to kind of dwell on that too much. But Yusuf and Naziri, for me, when I was kind of doing my little checklist of what it is I want to see in a striker, he just ticked the most boxes. You know, as I say, very good and effective at running in behind. Aerially, an absolute powerhouse, a poacher, a first-time finisher, and somebody who's at a club from which I think we can take players. Now, Spanish football, again, similarly to Italian football, is having a lot of problems in terms of finances. The COVID pandemic, as I've said, impacted the Premier League, impacted football clubs all over the world, but more so in those countries, in Italy and Spain, where the TV revenue deals are much more insignificant. So Yusuf and Naziri, I think he's attainable. I don't think we'd get him for 25 million, which is what West Ham tried to get him for. But I think you could get him for a reasonable amount. I think you could get him for 40, 45 million euros. And, and he, for me, embodies what we need in a centre forward. He really does. And, you know, I know that there are some more, you know, Alexander Isak feels a little bit more glamorous, but is he attainable? You know, you're talking about 70 odd million pounds being the price that is um, that is being sort of touted for him. You know, Dusan Vlavic, there's there's rumours that he's agreed a deal with a Champions League club, which we're not at the moment. So that makes that difficult for us. So the point I'm trying to make is that Yusuf and Naziri, in ticking all the boxes, doesn't just tick them from a, a kind of footballing perspective and what he has in terms of his attributes, but he ticks them in terms of the bigger picture. Is he attainable? Yes. Are Arsenal going to be able to price someone away from Sevilla? Probably, if they really want to. Are Arsenal more glamorous than Sevilla? Yes. The Premier League is more glamorous than La Liga. And, you know, Arsenal have a pulling power. So, yeah, I think that this this is the one for me. This is the one I would, I would look at. Um, and the one I would look at the most closely. The other player I put on the list um, was Lille's Jonathan David, uh, another player, Canadian international. And I know we've got a few Canadian listeners. Uh, so a big uh, shout out to you guys. I'm sure you'd love to see uh, a Canadian at the Arsenal. But um, Jonathan David is someone I thought about and I've kind of done a little bit of research on today. But, you know, I had a knowledge of him previously. But, you know, when we do these shows, I do want to kind of dig a little bit deeper so that I am able to give you a bit of insight, hopefully, and, and maybe a bit of information that uh, you might not have already known or, or not already seen. Um, really effective presser, Jonathan David. He was last season anyway. Uh, James McNicholas wrote a piece on The Athletic and said that he's kind of remodelled himself this season. And I've got to be honest, from the research I've done, it's difficult to tell that, right? Because I haven't had time to sit and watch Lille games in full from last season and then compare them to games this season. But obviously a very, very kind of important player for them. Last season, they won Liga and remember uh, pipping Paris Saint-Germain to the title. That gives him some kind of prestige for me. Um, as I say, very effective presser, very hardworking uh, league winner last season, not very good aerially. And that is something that I feel Although to, to most teams, when they're looking at a striker and trying to identify who the right person is to come in, that wouldn't be that big a deal. 
to me it is because we do face these low blocks quite a bit and you're not always going to be able to find the cutback. You're not always going to be able to get to the byline and pick someone out. Sometimes you're going to have to put the ball in the box and play the percentage game. Sometimes you're going to need someone who can get across the near post, who can use their physical presence to cause chaos and and and, and therefore space for other people. I just think that, that Jonathan David is a little bit lacking in that area. And, you know, not a bad striker, of course. Uh, Arsenal already have a relationship with Lille. Uh, over that Nicola Pepe job, uh, they were well, sure they'll I'm sure love us because we gave him 72 million for a player who's not worth anywhere near that. Um, so I don't know if that's really a good or a bad thing. But Jonathan David was on the list for me, but he just falls short a little bit in terms of his kind of in terms of what he brings inside the box, in terms of what he brings in terms of presence, physicality, and aerial prowess. So he was one that. I just about got into the list, but isn't one that I'd pursue necessarily. Um, I just want to say a big thank you before we continue to Daniel for your very, very uh, kind super chat donation, mate. Thank you so, so much. Really, really appreciate it. it says Harry, love your podcast. Great job. Thank you, pal. Um, yeah, thank you, man. Uh, let's take uh, a couple of your comments. Get In fact, get your comments, get your thoughts, get your questions. Um into uh, the live chat box. And I'll take as many of those as I possibly can. While you're doing that, I just want to quickly remind you that if you haven't entered our competition uh, to win a free Arsenal shirt, then you can do so by heading over to Twitter, going over to uh, Chronicles underscore AFC. Or if you don't have Twitter, you can email me. ChroniclesAFC at gmail.com is the email address. And I'd love to... Um, uh, I'd love to receive an email from you and I'll just put you in the draw. I know there's a lot of you have been sending them and I have been receiving them, I promise. But if I sit there and reply to all of them, I'll do nothing else. So, uh, yeah, um, I, I am reading them and I thank you for all your well wishes because a lot of them have come with um, some really nice comments about the podcast as well. So thank you so much. Uh, but yeah, uh, Jonathan Octo on the competition says only for UK residents, I presume, Harry. No, we'll ship it worldwide. We'll send it worldwide wherever it needs to go. Um, so, uh, yeah, get involved, uh, wherever it is that you're joining us from. I'd love to, uh, have as many names in the draw, in the hat, uh, for this coming Friday as possible. Right. Um, let's see what else we've got just quickly before I go over to some of the questions. Uh, the Ballon d'Or was, uh, the Ballon d'Or winners were announced yesterday. Um, and there's been a lot of speculation, hasn't there, about the fact that Lionel Messi won it. Um, look. Me personally, I'd have given it to Lewandowski because I think he's been that bloody good. And and I feel like he's it's it's almost becoming this thing where it's impossible for someone outside of Messi and Ronaldo to actually win it. Um, you know, they they they've made some strange decisions, and this is voted for by 180 journalists worldwide. But you got Messi number one, Lewandowski number two, Jorginho number three. Um Look, Jorginho should be up there. He's had an outstanding period, you know, Champions League winner, Euro 2020 winner, et cetera, et cetera. Cristiano Ronaldo was down in sixth. Mo Salah was seventh. How on earth is Mo Salah been below Cristiano Ronaldo in the last year? It's absolute madness, honestly. But there's nothing we can do about it. I think for me, you know, it was leaked days ago that Lionel Messi had won it. And the Ballon d'Or has become a little bit of a joke, if I'm being honest. And I, look... I mean, as a player, it would be lovely, wouldn't it, to, to get given that award. It's the most prestigious award, individual award the player can win. 
you'd love it. You'd put it on your fireplace. You'd probably look at it every day with a massive grin on your face, probably sit there and shine it. But, you know, if I were Robert Lewandowski, you know, I know it's really difficult to take and really difficult to say, but I mean, you know, it's um, it's got to be a bit of a kick in the teeth, but he's got to not allow it to to hit him. And I don't think it will. You know, he's he's a professional and I'm sure he might be frustrated behind the scenes. I, I think I read somewhere and I haven't seen this. Um, but I think I read somewhere that Messi said that or, or hinted that he didn't really deserve it this time around. I don't know if that's true because I've been mad busy today. I haven't had a chance to look into that. And once I saw the results, I was kind of like, well, forget that. It's a load of nonsense. Anyway, um, I don't really, I've never really been big on these individual awards. I'm not a, a massive fan of the whole way it's done, but having said all that, and I, and I reiterate the point, I don't believe Lionel Messi deserved to win it this time around. He's never bad, is he? He's Lionel bloody Messi. So, you know, it's not outrageous to say that Lionel Messi is the Ballon d'Or winner. And remember, he had international success. The thing that has evaded him for so many years, the thing that people would constantly throw at him when comparing him and Cristiano Ronaldo and say, well, Ronaldo's won uh, international honours with his country and Lionel Messi hasn't. They've never been able to get over the line. They did win the Copa America and I think that's probably played a massive part here in, in Lionel Messi being awarded this uh, very prestigious individual award. But yeah, there we go. That's the Ballon d'Or. Uh, in other news though, in the Trophy Copa, which is the Young Player Award, Bakayo Saka came sixth and that's that's nice to see. Um, you know, brilliant young player. Um, constantly kind of... Um, developing, improving, and uh, he's a real important part of this team. He's got an infectious smile. He's someone that you can't help but like, Arsenal fan or not. Uh, so congratulations to Bakayo Saka on that. Right, let's go over and take some of your questions then from the live chat box. Uh, just to kind of reiterate the list of five strikers that I would urge Arsenal to consider this summer. Dusan Vlavic, Darwin Nunez, Alexander Isak, Yusuf N. Naziri and Jonathan David. Right, let's take this one from uh, Kunte, who disagrees with me putting Yusuf N. Naziri in there. He says, El Naziri, nah, he'd be good for West Ham, not for Arsenal. Naziri is much like Odson Edouard, who's good for Crystal Palace. I'd say this, Kunte, as Arsenal fans, we have this, we feel like we should be top of the pile in everything, that we should have the best players, that we should play in the best competitions, that we should win every game. There is a sense of entitlement to Arsenal fans because of the successes that we've endured in the past. I, I just, I, I, I can't look at players and say, you know, well, no, I, I can in some instances, but I don't think you can say a striker, Yusuf Naziri, who's produced in La Liga, He's not doing it in the French League with all due respect to the French League. He's not doing it in the Dutch League with all due respect. La Liga is probably the second best league in world football. Maybe the third, um, depending on what way you want to look at it. It's one of the top three leagues. Yusuf and Naziri is producing regularly. I feel like he has a skill set that we could really benefit from. I think going down this route of saying he'd be good for West Ham, he's a Crystal Palace level player, I think is dangerous. We just signed Aaron Ramsdale from a side that got relegated. We signed Ben White from Brighton. You know, we've clearly gotten over that kind of superiority complex that Arsenal 
have been plagued by in recent years and said, if a player fits, if a player is what we're looking for, then we're going to make our move and we're not going to get bogged down on where they come from. And I think that's, that's if Arsenal are going to move forward, I think that's really important. I've talked about it before. If you don't have a billionaire sugar daddy who is going to slap large volumes of cash on the table every single summer and say, here's 80 million, here's 90 million, go and get this player, go and get that player. Then you have to be shrewd in the way you do business. You have to uh, pick players from the so-called smaller clubs and and hope that they come good and, and concentrate on developing those guys in order to see you close that gap. Because as I say, you know, and I've said it re- repeatedly over the course of this season, a lot of people made a lot of the amount of money that we spent in the summer. But when you think about it, we spent £50 million on Ben White. That was a big signing. But it was 30-odd on Odegaard, you know, 20-odd on on uh, Sambi Lakonga. It was £8 million on Nuno Tavares, uh, you know, £18 million on Takahiro Tomiyasu. Relative to the rest of the market, that's not really a lot. And um, and and that's the way, and, and those players have been a hit. So, you know, I don't think you can, you can be sort of, oh, I don't think we're in a position at the moment to turn our nose up at players like Yusuf and Naziri. I think he'd be an upgrade on what we currently have. And um, yeah, that's where I'm at. Uh, big hello to Izzy. Hope you're well, mate. Um, <laughs> Creambone, not a fan of my jumper. Um, I've got to be honest with you, mate. I, I, I'm not a massive fan of it either. I feel it looks a bit Christmassy, but my wife likes it and she bought it for me a while back. And for the first time yesterday when it was absolutely freezing, I had to raid the jumper cupboard and I just dug this out. And then yesterday when I finished uh, on the BBC Radio London show, which, by the way, you can check out. Uh, if you go over to BBC Sounds and check out the London football show from yesterday, if you go to the second hour, it was myself and Sophie Nicolau from the Highbury squad talking all things Arsenal for a solid hour on BBC Radio London. I think you'd enjoy it. Um, so check it out. But what happened was yesterday I finished up. I was hot. I've got this heater next to me and I always overdo it, but I can't stop a podcast or a show to kind of take it off on camera. So I left it hanging on the back of my chair. I come down here today um, to the man den that is man cave, whatever you want to call it absolutely freezing when I walked in here and I saw the jumper and I thought, there you go, mate, stick you back on. Uh, but yeah, I'll, uh, in future, when I purchase a jumper, mate, I'll send you a DM of the picture first. Then you can let me know if it's suitable. Uh, Merry Christmas says, Harry, what about this news? We offered, um, Yanis from Stout Bucharest. Yeah. Um, I've read these reports. I think what you're seeing, um, in uh you know in terms of these reports so let, let me just bring people up to speed maybe for those that don't know so romanian striking prodigy prodigy as he's named or as he's referred to yanis stoika uh currently an under 21 international for uh romania uh plays for fcsb who were formerly style bucharest they've had to change their name because of some legal jibber jabber which um is quite interesting actually read into it if you haven't um, but basically he, we, we've heard reports in the past that we've been scouting him, that we've been looking at him. Um, but the owner of the club, Gigi Bacali, he said that he has no plans 
uh, to sell the player just yet, but he said that it's good that Arsenal monitor uh, monitoring him. But there is at no point he's in he is for sale. He could be in a year or two, but not yet. He's technically skilled, physically strong, and very smart. Um, and then yesterday, I think it was yesterday, he came out and said that Arsenal, he, he talked about an amount, which I've seen quoted in different places that Arsenal had supposedly offered for this player, um, uh, Yanis uh, Stoika. But I, I don't know how true that is, man. I, you know, what you get quite often is is owners of clubs like Stal Bucharest, for example, who, you know, once upon a time were very powerful clubs in the European game, aren't now because the disparity between their leagues and the, the bigger leagues has become bigger and bigger and financially they just simply can't compete. And owners uh, like this guy will see a player come through, get excited about a player's development and say, yeah, you know what, this is kind of my ticket to securing the club's future for for a number of years to come. And often they'll start coming out, they'll start talking about the player, they'll say they're not for sale, then they'll try putting out uh, feelers with agents. They'll also put out, uh, you know, prices or, or put out fake bids, offers that never really came in or were never really serious to try and indicate to the market what it is they're looking for or indicate that that value in this case, I think he said it was around about 10 million euros is not going to be accepted. And it, it's all, it feels like propaganda to me. I, look, I don't know much about the guy. I've got to be honest. I've seen a couple of compilations since we were linked with him, but it's very difficult to judge a player based on that. So, um, yeah, um, that's uh, that's where I'm on that one. Uh, Andre says, uh, I watch YouTube videos of players just to see what their skill set is. Obviously, you cannot tell how they are from those videos. I watched Vlavic on YouTube and I like his skill set. Is he the real bit deal? Andre, if you rewind back to the beginning of the show, um, we talked about him quite extensively. Um, it's not that I don't want to answer your question. I just don't want to repeat myself for those that were, were watching uh, live from the beginning or those that will be watching this back or listening to it back. So um, please do uh, check out my chat about uh, Vlavic at the beginning. Um uh, <laughs> Let's see what else we've got here. Uh, lots of you saying that my jumper looks warm. It is warm, I have to say. Um, da -da 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 -da. Let's see what we've got. Um, Inter says, uh, and this is interesting, actually, because, um, you know, it is something that's, that's doing the rounds in the news and is very current at the moment. Do you think next year fans won't be allowed at games again? News of a fourth lockdown coming. There's a lot of reports, isn't there, about... Um, about the the rising cases, the new variant, etc., etc. Listen, I'm not a medical expert. I don't want to be one of those people that sits here and tells people what they should do, what they shouldn't do. Um, I think that it's clear now that there are certain things that we're going to need to adhere to to be able to get on with our normal lives. And if you value getting on with your normal life as much as I do, then you will do that. You know, you will you will do it. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not someone who pretends to know more than what my kind of station indicates. Like I, you know, I've seen people on on social media and and on uh, various kind of platforms in the last couple of years, sort of going head to head with doctors when they're like accountants. And and we've all there's nothing wrong with being an accountant, but you that's not your skill set. And I think. One of the things that we need to learn as a society and um, one of the things that we 
as football fans could probably do better is to respect people's professions and to respect the fact that they've worked incredibly hard to get to where they are and that we should not dismiss what they are saying when talking about subjects related to their profession, pretending we know more because we've read a few articles online that you or I could have put together. So yeah, you know, I think it's a, it's a concern. It's a worry. You know, I've really loved going back to football and I think what we've seen with the return of fans is, is how much better the product is with them in the stadium. And uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, fingers crossed it doesn't come to that, but it, it's certainly a possibility based on on kind of what we're seeing and hearing on the news at the moment. Uh, right, let's take a couple uh, more before we wrap up. Dalisu says, Harry, do you think we'll actually do any business in January? I've said it before. I think that a midfielder is probably on the agenda uh, come January. I think what type of midfielder it will be, i.e. is it a stopgap or is it a big signing or someone that Arsenal see as being part of the plans moving forward will depend on Granit Xhaka's recovery. I really do think that that's going to be key in whether Mikel Arteta or Edu feel that there is a desperate need to go out and, and, and add a player in that position. As I said earlier on, I'd be surprised if we brought in a striker in January because the players that we're talking about are going to be big investments, going to be big signings. And I think we're probably um, going to end up, uh, if we do want one of those guys, having to wait until the summer. So, yeah, um, I think I think we'll be looking to do business. I think if the opportunity presents itself, Arsenal will, uh, you know, will move. But whether it's going to be a big splash of cash, uh, I don't think so. I'd be very surprised. I really would. I think we might bring, as I say, a midfielder in to kind of backfill a little bit uh, in the event that Granite Xhaka returns. Um, and and he's, all is okay with with the recovery to his injury. So yeah, interesting to see. But I, I think they'll be looking to do something. I, I can't say for sure that they will. Also, can't say that they won't. Um, my gut feeling is that they'll be monitoring the market, looking for any potential opportunities, opportunities that fit. But also, as I've said before, in the past we've um, we've bought players as stop gaps and then been stuck with them. And I think Arsenal, having got to this point in the uh, redevelopment or, or having got to this point with regards to their recruitment, having moved so many out and having brought so many in under Arteta and Edu, I, I think bringing in a stopgap who will have no future at the club because we want to wait um, till the kind of end of the you know, because we want to wait till the end of the season to go big, it could probably almost be counterproductive. The flip side of that is if you do bring in a stopgap and that stopgap helps you get back into Europe and you've not paid all that much money for them, then you're probably going to reap the rewards of that sign-in from the revenue you generate by getting back into Europe. So I think Arsenal will be doing a lot of weighing up of pros and cons uh, as that window uh, opens. And of course, remember, when that transfer window does open, in January, we'll be all over it right here on the Chronicles of Aguna with our daily Transfer Talk podcast. So that should be good fun. We always seem to get lots of love and interaction during the transfer window. So they are exhausting, but I do I do quite uh, quite like them. Uh, Daniel Tiggy with another super chat. He says, you missed my last super chat. I was just saying how much I love your podcast. Daniel, I didn't. I got to it in the end. I got to it a little bit late, but I did get it and I did read it out. Um, thank you so, so much, mate. Uh, really, really appreciate it. Um, but yeah, I did. Um, I did read your last one. I promise you. Uh, give me a second um, because um, 
Creambone says he can't find the show from last night on BBC Sounds. What you need to do, mate, is go onto BBC Sounds. And if you type in uh, London, what is it called? London Sports Show? Is that what they call it? Bear with me. I'm just doing it now while we're live. Um, you know what? In fact, at the top, type in BBC Radio London, if it ever loads. And when I go to, it is there somewhere. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll ping over. You know what? I can do it from here. If I go on my WhatsApp from my computer, WhatsApp web, there you go. We'll be able uh, to do that. Get a few more questions in as well. We'll pick up a couple more uh, before we wrap up. Um, I'm just bear with us a second. I'm just because I know a lot of you have been asking me and I don't want it to not be accessible to you guys, but there definitely, definitely is a way. Here we go. In fact, I'm going to pop the link in the chat now for you. There you go. Is that the right link? Was there an X on the end of that or did I add that? Yeah, there is. That's the link. If you click on that, it will take you to the show. Uh, and if you forward um, to the second part of the show, uh, so an hour in, you'll you'll get our bit. There you go. Thank you for your patience. Uh, right. Uh, let's take a couple uh, more bits and pieces from the chat box. Um, Sam says, do you think Carrick being in charge of Manchester United on Thursday will have a positive impact for us? I don't think it has that much of an impact. I've got to be honest, you know, I think that the kind of removal of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer gave Manchester United that boost anyway. Um, you know, it, it sometimes it goes stale with a manager. Sometimes it becomes a big problem and sometimes you need to, um, you need to just cut ties. You need to cut the cord. I think it's been described as as by various people in the last few days. And Manchester United have done that. And obviously they've got a manager in place, Ralph Ranić. We know that he won't be in charge this Thursday because of work permit issues, bloody Brexit. But ultimately, um, you know, I don't think it makes that much difference. I think we know what we're going to get from Man United. We know that we're going to get, um, you know, they're a side that have got a lot of attacking prowess, a side that have got a lot of individual talent, a side that, are questionable defensively. I know they played well at Chelsea in that sense, but they sacrificed their entire attacking game to do that to Chelsea. I think they'll be more open against us. I think they'll be more expansive against us. And look, we're not favourites. I don't think so. Not in my mind anyway. You don't go to Old Trafford as favourites. It's very rare. So I think that it's still going to be a difficult task to go there and come away with something. But, and I'll make this clear now because... I've got some stick for this. Well, I got stick when I said in the lead up to the Liverpool game that Anfield for me was a free hit. People told me that was stupid. People told me that I was, um, you know, that I was, I was being, you know, I was accepting of, of mediocrity. I was quite happy for Arsenal to go there and get pummeled. And that absolutely wasn't the case. I want to make it clear now. I don't believe that Man United is a free hit. Why? Because Man United are a team that we're competing with now. You know, at the start of the season, I didn't think that Arsenal were going to challenge for the top four. I thought that we would be within a, a reasonable distance of it. And I thought that we would finish in the top six. That was my goal. That was my aim. That was what I wanted to see from the team. Now, Man United have left that door open because I don't know if West Ham are capable of, of maintaining the pace throughout the course of the season. So Man United being where Man United are means that door is slightly open. So at this moment in time today, 
on the 30th of November, Arsenal are in contention for a Champions League place. If we don't make it come the end of the season, I'm not going to sit and say it was a complete failure as long as we're in Europe because my objective hasn't changed overall. But there's an opportunity there and you've got to try and take it and you've got to try and make the most of it. Therefore, this is not a free hit. It absolutely isn't. But a draw would be a decent result. So, you know, if we go there and get beat, you're not going to hear me saying it was a it was a free hit. But equally, if we pick up a point and leave Old Trafford with a point in the bag, I would say it's a pretty decent result. And I'd be not happy because I think we're better than them. I think we could beat them. I think we've got what it takes to beat them. But I I would be content with the point. That's that's the way I kind of see it at this moment in time. <laughs> Omar, breaking news. Harry and Inter agree. Yes, we do. Um, we do. Brilliant stuff. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Let's take this on from um, Stephen Foote. What about Chris Wood and Patrick Bamford? Same scenario as Ramsdale, in my opinion. Going back to that striker debate, I listed five strikers at the top of the show that I would urge Arsenal to consider uh, purchasing this summer. And I said that we shouldn't be snobs and I said that we shouldn't uh, be elitists. But Stephen, you've taken it too far here by asking me about Chris Wood and Patrick Manford. Not interested in either of them. <laughs> Great stuff. Uh, just a quick one before we do go, because um, I've just seen the time. My God, uh, please do hit the like button if you haven't done so already. Um, there's over 160 of you watching on YouTube alone right now, but we've only got 54 likes on the board. There is no reason why we can't get that up to as close to 100 as possible. Please do it. It really, really does help. Honestly, it helps so much. I really, really appreciate it. Like, 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 subscribe if you haven't done so already. I feel like we've been stuck on 17.2K on YouTube for like a month and it's driving me mad. I just want to get over that next 100 line. So please subscribe if you haven't done so already. If you'd like to go one further and become a member, you can do so by clicking on the link in the description. And we've got a juicy bit of members content coming this week. I know we've been slacking on that, um, but I promise you there's something dropping tomorrow. Uh, so uh, yeah, that'll be that. I'll catch you all very, very soon. Tomorrow, uh, I'll be joined by Scott Saunders from 90 Min. Um, Manchester United expert. We'll be talking about that game and then I'll be bringing you uh, my preview team selection, etc. for the game at Old Trafford, followed by some review content coming your way on Thursday night. It's a late kickoff on Thursday. I think it's 8.15. Bloody Amazon. Um, but yeah, looking forward, uh, looking forward to doing that, looking forward to uh, keeping you across that one and hearing your thoughts as well in the aftermath of uh, what's going to be an interesting evening at Old Trafford. Feels like Arsenal have a test every week now, and this is certainly another one of them. Right, I'll catch you all soon. Until next time, take care of yourselves and stay safe. All the best. Goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.